0: Support for Class Dismiss comes from School Status. School Status is the only K-12 data analytics platform designed to turn analysis into engagement. To learn more about how school status can change at your school district, head over to schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 63, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. Today we'll tell you which state is launching a financial literacy curriculum, An old Texas law requires high schools to help students register to vote, and some colleges are asking for a share of your future salary in lieu of loans. Stay with us. Last Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we speak with a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, the Tech Rabbi joins us. Michael Cohen's here to talk about creativity, technology, and empathy in the classroom. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortego here, and I'm joined by teacher extraordinaire, Alyssa Pruitt, and education data expert, Russ Davis of School Status. Russ, how are you doing? Fantastic. Lisa, are you making friends at your new school yet? I remember a couple episodes back, you were like,
1: everyone went to lunch and no one invited me. No. Well, that was, that was before. You embarrassed me, Nick. That was before school started. So everybody was kind of on their own schedules anyway. But, okay. um, yes, I'm definitely making friends. Everybody's so sweet. It's so funny because I don't leave my classroom. It's just constant kids changing out. And so uh, today I opened my door. And this sweet teacher was standing there with all these little children behind her. And I said, are you coming to me? <laughs> and she said, yes. I said, what's your name? <laughs> she said, oh, I'm sorry. Am I wrong on the schedule? I said, no, I just, it's gotten to the point where I'm just receiving whoever's coming. Like, right. you know, I don't know yeah. everybody yet, but I'm trying to learn teacher names just like I'm trying to learn the kids' names. But they're all hey, very Lisa, sweet.
2: Can I ask you a quick logistics question? Sure. How many how many classes are you teaching in a day? Like, how many times are people cycling in and out? Six. Six? And how long are the class periods?
1: 50 to 55 minutes.
2: Okay, good. That's not too bad. Like, you can kind of dig deep there. I just didn't know how fast the cadence was. Yeah. Do you get a planning period or a lunch
0: break or anything? No,
1: like that? I don't. You know, we're supposed to get a 50-minute planning period, but I don't because of they made some changes to special education and the way they had to have a, a Segments of time, longer blocks of time. Anyway, so I get like a 15-minute break between two classes. And then a little later, I get like a 25-minute break between two classes. How about
0: Carline? Is Carline better yet?
1: Yes, it was so much better today. My gosh.
0: All right, let's uh, jump into the uh, teacher's lounge, Lisa. You talking
1: money? Money, 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 money. Thank you. I was like trying to feed that to you. And... Um, Colorado is launching a financial literacy curriculum for all ages. A 100 teachers just attended a workshop to learn how to teach to the even the youngest of what it means to be financially literate and how to kind of avoid the older kids are learning how to avoid scams because the Attorney General of Colorado is saying that they're dealing with so many people that are scamming and mismanaging people's money that, of course, they're, you know, taking the correct steps to put those people in jail, but they also want to be a little more proactive and make sure that people understand what happens with their money and what you should be looking for. And and also just what, you know, how much do you need, you know, how much money do you need to make as an adult? What to to live the life you think you want to live (laughs) something that everyone
0: should know before they have to sign college loan documents
1: yeah so i
0: I was about to say yeah
2: yeah i I hope they spend a lot of time about uh promissory notes right what is a promissory note what does it mean well i have to pay this back how badly compound interest works against you right Um,
1: which is so great because you know like when i taught middle school mathematics we did it a month long unit. It was kind of like a mini unit. So I went on with my normal um, lessons in math, you know, with, you know, ratios and things like that. But there was always this lingering financial literacy unit that was not required. I just did it because I wanted to. Where they had paydays and they had to furnish an apartment and they had, well, just you know, get a credit card. Unexpected, yeah. Well, they had unexpected things. It was almost like a game, and they had to keep up with it. And they had to, you know, ba- You know, they had to have receipts and balance things. And sounds so like a
2: fun game, listen.
1: It really. They were so stressed <laughs> out, y'all. They were so stressed out. The parents were rolling laughing. They're like, "This is hilarious," because. They would say they're, you know, well, they're all seventh grade. Too, so. <laughs> Their seventh grade <laughs> daughter would be like, I can't believe toilet paper is this expensive. I don't have that much money for it. <laughs> you know, but that was like, no, you have to buy it. Like, right. so what are you going to do? So, anyway, it was a fun game um, or unit. And at the end, they had to present, like, how did they do? And many of them were in the hole. Like, many of them were in a lot of trouble financially. I bet.
0: Ramen noodles. Bologna, mm-hmm. the toilet paper can I, that feels like sandpaper.
2: Can, I was about to say, can I ask the thing? I think everybody has been broke, and so what is the thing that you guys have not skimped on? Like, regardless of how broke you were, yeah, what did you like? Not where do you not go on? generic on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like the the Walmart brand, the Great Value, the you know the undecipherable store brand a at a grocery store.
0: What's the thing that you don't go? Because I I go generic pretty fast.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, Nick. That's why I asked Nick specifically because he goes generic in a hurry. Yeah, like, (laughs) like let's let's buy the biggest bulk package we can for the least amount of money. (laughs) So for me, it's toilet paper for obvious reasons. I go I go premium on toilet paper. Always have, always will. What about you guys?
1: Well, I mean, I guess I'm such a nerd because I immediately thought Crayola and Ticonderoga. <laughs> that's that's immediately what <laughs> Wait, I thought. Well, it what was that? Or, <laughs> T- oh, Ticonderoga, the world's best pencil. Oh, okay. Um, I, you know, as a, those are the best pencils. I don't want the generic brand pencils that are just rubber and won't erase, nor will they mark, you know. Um And then Crayola crayons are better than the other crayons. So I won't skimp on that either. So th- I'm sorry that I immediately jumped to school no, no, I'm trying to think. I'm of... just
2: asking, like, like in your brokest of broke college <laughs> days.
0: It's, it's usually yeah. the electronics for me. I've always kind of, you know, got to have the new iPhone. <laughs> like like a know. true... <laughs> I'm like a true
2: college kid, right? Right. Like, yeah, I've got to have that. That's obvious. Yeah, so. and you
0: know, you like just go and like sell a kidney or something so you can get an iPhone. And um, yeah, you just don't do that. But but then you take like shampoo, like one dollar, like VO five shampoo. Okay. I'll buy, well, I'll buy like five of those, you know. And
1: okay, well, that's probably what I don't skip on then is my shampoo and conditioner because I have really fine hair and very little of it. And so no, I'm not all, gonna.
0: So seriously, like I, I don't mean to go into a rabbit hole, but Brock Bookout's dad Scott. He like apparently is an engineer at like one of these like shampoo factories, or, or he travels <laughs> the country doing this stuff. Okay. And he says literally like they it's like all the same place. They, they run the factory with the fancy bottles, like the expensive ones. Fill them up. They're like, all right, bring in the other bottles, slide them in. And then Shut your mouth. One's got a five dollar label, and the other's got a one dollar
2: label, and it's all wow. came out of the same pipe.
1: Are you serious? Well, you know how
2: they don't do it like that? Toilet paper.
1: All right, <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> they don't.
2: They don't, uh, you know, I think we've all had the school toilet paper, which is the worst toilet paper on the planet. Yeah, we are
0: totally off track, though. So
2: this is a good question. Thing?
0: It's a good question. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a great thing, I think, because it's, it's overdue that we don't teach kids about finances. But to see a state actually, like, say, like, no, we are doing this, like some mm-hmm. sort of a mandate or really hard push, all for it.
2: Yeah, I I think so, Nick. And I think a big part of it is just, if you look at the amount of debt that Americans are carrying and how most people, um, I think it's like 40% or, we'll have to find the number and update it, but there's a certain percentage of people, it's a lower percentage than you would think, have more than $500 in savings. like. Most people are living paycheck to paycheck, and that's not necessarily because of poor financial choices. Sometimes it's just the nature of, you know, I don't make a lot of money. Um, but I think it's anything we can do to, you know, help kids get on the right foot, because I know whenever, like most, whenever I was in college, you know, I made terrible financial choices. And, um, you know, all the money I, I wish I had that I'd pissed away when I was in college.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, ditto. Well, saying that, let's, let's skip subjects before I reflect and get sad and and depressed. Uh, what do you know, Russ?
2: Well, uh, I was reading recently in, uh, in the Dallas News, which is a, basically an online version of the Dallas Morning News, which is a long-time newspaper. Um, there is a state law in Texas that requires high schools to help students register to vote and so recently, uh, they basically found out there was a, a reporter, Forrest Milburn, uh, that's their, their politics reporter, that kind of dug into this and found that even though there's been a, um, 19, there's a law since 1985, right, um, over 180,000 kids were potentially affected in the past few years um, by their school district's failure to help them register to vote which is kind of crazy. So whenever you guys were in high school, right, and you turned 18, did your schools help you to vote? No. Like, did they help you to no. register to vote, rather? No. no. Uh, but I remember, like, being motivated, like, uh, you know. To go vote. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I remember being happy. like,
1: yes, this is about to happen. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I know we did, like, mock elections and, like, the Secretary of State's office set that kind of stuff up. But I don't remember everybody, anybody ever putting a form in front of me, like a voter registration no. form. And my saying,
1: son is 18 and nobody's done it. Well, oh, there him. you go.
2: Yeah. Well, if he was in Texas, then his school would be in violation of uh, of, of state law. So. So, so, yeah, I think
0: this is a good state law, but it's really a shame. And like uh, clearly there's no teeth in it if the schools aren't like if they attach funding to it. Yeah, uh, you imagine everyone's gonna. Yeah, get well, it,
2: it's. I think it's just a lot of shame in it. Like you know, that's why the article's there is that they're trying to shame people in because they have in the article, which we'll put in the show notes. They have a map, a Google Map, showing all the high schools in the um, in the state, which there are a lot of them in Texas. And basically, it looks like uh, uh, chickenpox because there's so much red dots on the map. There's green that they do it. There's yellow that they're in kind of a minimal compliance, and red that they don't do anything with it at all. And so I'm sure that this article will really help bring attention to it. But my question is, is why don't more – like why don't state departments of education and secretaries of state do this as well? Like why don't they push this in other states? You know, you live in you live in Mississippi. Like why hasn't, you know, the secretary of state or – uh, the local district attorney, or you know, yeah. the judge, or something and like that. Not, Why haven't they taken that action to kind of push people to to help register?
0: It's it is weird, and it's not just in high schools with these type of laws. I remember in Virginia; they had a really good bill called the uh, Motor Voter Bill. Yeah, and yeah. and I'm sure other states probably have it too. But when you go to register your driver's license or renew it or whatever, you can register to vote right there at the DMV.
1: It's so convenient.
0: It is really convenient, and um,
2: yeah, I just, well, it's we- it's like you have that now for um, donor, like Oregon donor now. Like I think it. Right. It's, it's a real question that you have to answer. It's no longer just, hey, I want to do that, and then you put it on there. Like It's a question that they ask when you renew your license, and they had to make that like a state law that they required that basically, which is crazy. But um, why isn't would you like to register to vote also the same way? I, I you don't know, I, that.
0: I mean, it, the cynical side of me can try to throw a, a reason out there, and it's because there's certain parties who are in control who don't want younger people voting. Um, and so if your state thinks those younger people might actually vote them out of office, they're not going to make it easier for younger people to register. Am I wrong? It's a
1: very bad I, statement that you I just made, Nicholas. I would tend to agree Nicholas. with you. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying.
2: Well, and there was a, that, that was part of the article as well, that there was a, a student that was part of the Frisco Student Activist Union who basically um, they started the Activist Union after the, um, uh, the shootings in, in Parkland, Florida. And essentially their goal is to – get more students to vote for their causes um which is which is pretty smart i guess you know if you, you you may not be able to change the hearts and minds of people that you know are are pretty you know fragmented or you know i'm trying to think of the word pretty divided i guess but if you register them to vote for registered to vote the people that may think like you or that may push your political cause mm-hmm. um as a student then it's probably not a not a bad idea so the goal of this um uh, organization is to get 100% of all eligible students in their school district to uh, uh, to vote or to at least to, to register to vote by next year's midterms.
0: All right, so I've got one. Uh, we were talking about how colleges can uh, be real expensive. Uh, apparently, um, there's a few more colleges. The latest Norwich University to say you will pay for school with your future salary instead of taking out a loan. So, so would you? sign on the dotted line basically saying like all right if i go to school here when i go become a teacher um you will get a percentage of my salary for x amount of time rather than taking out a loan do you think that's a good deal bad deal
1: um i think i would have some questions like do i have to teach in certain places do i have to work in certain places for this to work and then what is is it a locked in percentage.
0: So that isn't revealed in this. This is an associated press article. So that's not revealed. It just says it it varies from, I think, you know, profession and so forth, um, as well as uh, school. But it just says the share agreements pay back a percentage of their salary for a set period of time, period. Um, And...
2: Isn't that what you do anyway? But I think... (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're right. You're right. It is. But... But could you end up with a better deal? I guess is really. I guess. I guess what a university is doing is they're gambling on your future profession.
2: Yeah. Well, I think they're also gamb- I think they have pretty strong confidence. Like, I don't know if they're going to make that deal for an art history major, right? Like, oh, I don't. Man. I, I wonder. Like,
1: I'm Ooh. sorry. What was that, Russ?
2: <laughs> Are you an art history major? <laughs> no. So I don't think they're going to make that bet for every single profession. If you want to go do underwater basket weaving. I don't think that they're going to, you know, pay for that major in the same way. But what it does do, I think it's a good thing in that they're putting their money where their mouth is, right? Right. They're basically saying, if you don't make any money, we don't make any money. And it wasn't a good bet for us, um, which I don't have a real problem with. I, I wish, you know, more places like if to me, if you go to a college and the federal government underwrites your loan and you graduate on time, and with a certain GPA, and you can't go find a job or you are not employable, then I think that they should forgive your loans up to a certain amount. You know, like I, I just think that I that would go school to that university. Yeah, I mean that that says a chart, lot. Yeah, like you know, put your money where your mouth is, right? Like we think we're doing such a great job, and you're going to get such a great job that we think it's a better deal than getting the money up front. Um, and I, I think it just, would even you know, be
0: fair if they threw in like a recession clause. Like, you know, if, if GDP is on the decline for two for, for four quarters, then we no longer are obligated. You know, it's just like because there's some things that happen yeah. at a university. But, I mean, if, if the GDP is on the up and up or is positive for, you know, four quarters, then, yeah, you should be able to find a job.
1: I do well, think, I think it's that- cool that it's like yeah. a positive idea, you know, like, hey, come to school here. And then, and you know, and then you can, once you get a job, which we know you will, you can pay back, you know, the gift we gave you, then people that face graduating college and then immediately start applying for loans. And it's all so overwhelming that they said, never mind, I'm not going to do it.
0: I've got some numbers um, further down in the article there was a guy named Andrew Hoyler um, 22 graduated from Purdue University last year with one of these programs he um, wanted to learn how to fly um, became a pilot you know got the education now he's working as a pilot for American Airlines regional carrier which apparently doesn't pay that well like right out of yeah, college it but
2: 40, but thousand dollars
0: right but I think you do real well once you become like you know the big dog sure. American Airlines pilot so it says um, Ho- Hoyler is currently paying back 8% of his income. Um, so that's, you know. I don't
2: that's got to be less than he would pay otherwise. Right, I would like, think so. I mean, I, you know, like all things, I think that there's an opportunity to get screwed here. <laughs> um, but I don't necessarily have a huge problem with it in that there's some downs. Like, because if you look at the way a lot of colleges are set up, there's no downside for them. If you don't go out and make any money, guess what? Like, unless you default in your loan, like there's some downside on the federal loan level. Like the the feds, that is a metric of accountability for both for-profit and nonprofit colleges. But there's not a lot of downside for them for you not to do well, right? So I think this is at least uh, they have some skin in the game for ensuring you make it. Now, my question would be: if you don't get a job in your required in your desired field, then then what, right? Are they leaning on you to go get a job anywhere while you... Right, like I mean? so like, you,
0: go, you go and you start, you know, working at a local restaurant. Are they pulling 8%? I guess. Yeah. Well, are you guys uh, ready for the uh, Bright Idea? Sure. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is known as the tech rabbi. Michael Cohen is described as a creative instigator turned educator and now helps schools leverage creative thinking, collaboration, and
3: technology. Rabbi Cohen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh,
0: You have quickly become a thought leader in the world of education. Uh, You've been featured at ISTE, I think, multiple times, uh, South by Southwest EDU. You've been to Apple education events. At what point did you really feel this momentum behind your message
3: really pick up? So I think there have been a couple different uh, stages for it. And the thing that I think is really important, especially for anyone who's listening, is that if if your goal is to provide value to others, which I feel is an intrinsic character trait of all educators but if you're if you're looking to do that in like the social media space and the greater edu- education community space, then it's it will happen if you have something valuable to share, like the, the internet votes with value. So for me, I think the, just like my first conference that I ever spoke at, you know, shout out to EdTech Teacher, uh, two thousand fourteen, submitted my first session, got accepted, flew out to Chicago, and presented to a room of you know 60, 70 educators. Which the, that idea in itself just blew my mind, and the the positive response to that work, and you know, being a orthodox. Uh, Jew, you know, a Hasidic Jew, which is, you know, ultra-Orthodox, mm-hmm. and could have very much, uh, you know, very well just like stayed in my my little, you know, enclave in Los Angeles, decided, you know, there's something to the way the internet is allowing cultures and religions, or just people who have all different and, and unique things to offer, uh, a space to connect. So that that really started everything. Obviously, standing on a stage in front of 8,000 people at ISTE, uh, someone just told me yesterday it was actually more than eight thousand, which it's a you know a small village. You know that that's a moment, and the engagement around my work right now is is huge. But I, I think really it was that beginning of just seeing the idea that if you want to put something out into the world and you really want to help others. It, it just it happens organically and it's not easy it, it's a it's a busy noisy place uh, social media the internet so it you have to be patient with it but if, if your focus is on providing value that that growth will happen uh,
0: you know I, I think um, a lot of people listening will dive into your message in a second but uh, they're they're interested in, in your approach you, you kind of approach things as a designer and and f- from what I understand your background is not originally education right?
3: yeah I am entering this this fall it'll be my tenth year in education and before that, I was in the design world marketing communication you know brand storytelling just all basically focused on creating a an entity for a company that represented them when they weren't there and that I think has has helped me incredibly in in the education space is being able to communicate through different mediums to connect with different people uh, with different interests and things of that nature and really draw them in and engage them. So I, I did a, I did that there and I, I stumbled into education just by finding an opportunity to teach design courses and loving it and actually getting um, the moment where I realized that this was something that I should seriously consider was I was teaching at fashion Institute of design and merchandising in downtown LA. And I, I got the, um, the student evaluations back and they're anonymous, but it basically, you know, to sum it up said, Mr. Cohen, I, I was not yet a, a, a fully ordained rabbi yet. Mr. Cohen gave me the tools to be independent and to, to just do great things. And that was something that was unfamiliar for me that, you know, I'm, I'm used to just doing good work and I know I did good work cause I get paid and, and like, I, I have more clients, but this was something different. This was like, I empowered somebody. And the the school also was very um, you know s- positively surprised and eager to offer me more um, speak um, more more teaching s- uh, sections to sections to teach because I guess that was unusual for that kind of response from students. That's good. So that 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 segued me into, you know, what would become really a full time focus in education.
0: And so as I mentioned at the top of the show, you're kind of known as this creative instigator. And you talk to a lot of uh, schools and groups like at conferences at ISTE about, you know, being creative. Um, So it's a major part of your message. Um, On a personal level, I feel like I'm not a creative person. I'm more of a, you know, structured, I'm not really an artsy person. So what would you say to a student like me, or or for that matter, a teacher instructing a student like me when someone has that mindset? Yes,
3: yeah, so I first I would, I would challenge uh, the, the room with both of us there to define or redefine creativity. And I'd really crowdsource it with all the students. and And we would actually surprise ourselves that um, being artistic is an expression of creative thinking. Um, so is writing or music or culinary art, you know, a- anything that is something tangible, something visual, that's an expression of a way of thinking. And it requires you to, to step back and 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 change that viewpoint. I mean, if we would rank, you know, some of the top artists of all time, you know, top five, top 10, I think Leonardo da Vinci would be there, you know? And he was also an inventor, he was an engineer. And those areas are sort of ignored, maybe for their creativity um, and in some cases. You know, yes, you have things like Apple, like, oh, that was so creative, they created the iPhone. Well, guess what? He, they didn't create the iPhone. What did Steve Jobs do? And he, this is recorded like on video. He saw all of these other existing components and then he curated them together to create the iPhone. If you watch the iPhone uh, launch that keynote, mm-hmm. he says there is uh, we have an a iPod and a web browser and a revolutionary phone. And he says it like three or four times over and over again. It was almost like this mantra building up to the point where you think they're about to launch three separate products, a new iPod, a computer, and a phone. And then it's all together and people's minds are blown. So did did that really require traditional artistic abilities? No, not necessarily. It's about looking at the world, seeing what's missing, finding gaps, and really, looking at creativity is not just something that requires oil paint or, you know, something of that traditional nature.
0: You know, speaking of technology and, and Apple, um, let's pivot that direction a little bit. You know, you you've done a, a YouTube video that I really enjoyed, um, where you make a point that I've never really even thought about, and and you talk about the fact that um, a pencil is essentially a form of technology. At least at
3: one point in time, it was. I did a keynote at iPad Palooza in 2015. And it was one of these like mini rapid fire keynotes where there was like 10 I think there were 10 um, educators on on stage at different points in time and you you had like 6 minutes. And I needed to really come up with something pretty impactful cuz you can't really do much in 6 minutes unless unless it's carefully designed. I was sitting and I'm you know I'm looking at this pencil and I was you know doing different Articles at the time around, you know, technology is is just a device, and it really, it's what you what you do with it and how you think about using it that's impactful. And I, I stumbled across an article uh, written about how the the invention of the pencil was 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 met with um, like serious animosity and like real serious like negativity. Uh, there's something I think it was, um, you know, Socrates or Plato, maybe it was even Aristotle. I don't know. Let's just throw in all all <laughs> Greek philosophers in one, you know, one batch. And um, wh- whichever one it was, um, he said that this device would basically destroy the the current uh, existence of academia that the teacher student bond of oral transmission of information would be would be disrupted and and the world would you know sink back into oblivion because people would just you know write things down thoughtlessly <laughs> and you know it, it's 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 interesting because that when I read that it sort of had two different um you know sort of thought streams run through my mind one is wow, this pencil is totally technology. And like, look at how we view technology, especially when it's new. And also look at how we evolve and we begin to understand ourselves and the world around us through the avenues of technology. Because right now there's no shortage of articles that say, um, you know, typing things uses um, doesn't use the part of the brain that internalizes things while writing does, because you're actually, when you transcribe, transcribe the letters, you're creating these, these shape type memory markers in your mind. And we need to stop typing everything. We need to go back to, you know, writing things down, uh, you know, manually, or maybe even digitally, you know, sketchnoting, things like that. I think it makes, makes much more sense than going Totally back to that traditional space, but just to you know, really hopefully answer um, you know the the idea that you brought up is that technology is in its it's defined you know in in its pure form as a tool that it, that significantly enhances an existing problem or it creates an avenue for something new that we didn't even really think about. And the pencil does that. And the problem with the pencil is, as we look at technology right now, as this multifaceted functioning device that does, you know, anywhere between five and five million different things. And the pencil does two things. It transcribes and it uh, removes, it erases, right? So Mm -hmm. it, it adds and subtracts information. And I loved that I was able to create a talk where I was speaking honestly about a pencil and I was describing a pencil without saying it, but it sounded like I was talking about uh, all the technology that we surround ourselves with today. And at the very end, I say, you know, what is my device? And I pull out a number two pencil and you sort of hear this like, you know, groan from the the crowd like oh he tricked us which I was really hoping they would have cheered but you know that was one, you know, <laughs> one it was one response I th- I, th- I think proves you know proves the point of like oh well, okay but it's so true what I said was you know this pencil is tech.
0: So so saying that, what's your message to teachers when it comes to technology? I know that there, there's so many new technologies that do get thrown at us on a on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. And there's, you know, certain, I don't know what to call them buzz items or whatever. And, you know, try this piece or try that. Are we overloaded with it or do
3: you say embrace all of it or do you say find a balance? I think we need to embrace all of it. And that doesn't mean we need to purchase all of it. I think that at the very least, and I, I've seen this a lot, and I would, if I would, you know, to sort of make a side statement to then go back to answering the question. If you would ask me, like, what is the one wish that you have for your next steps in the work that you do? I want to have more opportunities to speak to students. I love educators. I'm an educator myself, but I love these opportunities where I get to be brought to a school and have a conversation with students instead of just the teachers. Sometimes I feel the teachers and the administrators are obstacles to who I'm really trying to get to, which is the students to give them the information that they need to do something powerful. So to go back to that, you know, to that that idea is that Students need to, at the very least, understand and know about cutting edge technology. That doesn't mean they need to use it. And that doesn't mean that schools need to invest in, er- in every area or invest in cutting edge when really, um, you know, just towards the edge would be totally fine. The other thing that, you know, that frustrates me is, you know, educators that are so cynical, um, and and an outright negative against cutting edge technology because you know buying into it might not lead to significant um, educational outcomes. I think there has to be a balance. I'm super into balance, and I think that you can't be on the extreme on either end.
0: You were talking about having that conversation with um, students, and which kind of helps me pivot to my next question for you. I know that you look at
3: empathy as currency. And what do you mean when you say that? Empathy as a currency is is something that I, I was really inspired by Gary Vaynerchuk. He's a Sierra entrepreneur, mm-hmm. investor, marketer. He curses like a pirate. So just disclaimer to your audience, but he is uh, genuine and super incredible in, in what he shares. And he's always focusing on empathy and same with the design thinking uh, focus that I've had for so many years. I just I see empathy as something that allows for things to happen, which is why I call it a currency. And what happens is, is that when you understand others around you through an empathetic lens, you can accomplish so much more. And that doesn't mean that you're always going to get your way. It might even mean that the idea that you know is actually the right way is not the right way for this person or this group. And you need to change up that strategy with empathy in mind. And that's just a very different approach because we're so used to trying to solve problems based on our experience and knowledge. And whether it's with your own children, with your students, with your coworkers, having a solid base in empathy is going to allow you to really accomplish things on the long term while they might not necessarily every time on the short term.
0: Have you ever had a, a moment, uh, a real life moment where, you know, you, you really thought about this, you changed your perception, your, your idea of, of and, and you're working to be empathetic.
3: Have you seen a positive effect from that in your classroom? Absolutely. So, you know, for me, I've been out of the classroom for a really long time. In 2011, I became a director of EdTech. And so I've always had like an elective here or there, but I really haven't been a classroom teacher in a long time. But some of the things that I've done, you know, on a leadership level, is you know, trying to create opportunities for students without having the students in the room. I think is a great example of not having empathy. So some really great opportunities that we've had over the year, uh, over the years, have been around you know, creating student leadership opportunities, creating technology programs for students? Where are the student stakeholders? So just bringing the students into the room and allowing them to have a piece of that conversation, that's employing empathy. I think also being flexible in life. We we hope and pray that, that our students won't grow up to all get jobs with uh, very rigid and irrational bosses that their way or the highway. Like, I I hope that my students don't have that as, you know, the next, you know, 50, 60 years of their life. But sometimes our classrooms are run that way. Sometimes we, we do not allow for any level of flexibility because we're on a timeline, we're short on time. And I think it's just changing small things like that, where we're allowing for not to be taken advantage of, and I know as an educator in a classroom, we have to be very careful of that moment of manipulation where we're firm and clear, but you can also be flexible. And I think understanding, and that is, I, I think the the big piece of education that is still a struggle for all all stakeholders, and, and you know that are that are part of it, is you know how do we give our students a voice and an opportunity to. Be heard. And then I think be be more invested in their in their learning because of that.
0: Well, great stuff, um, Rabbi Michael Cohen. We appreciate you chatting with us. Um, where can people connect with you if they want to find you? Do you like to – I know everyone's kind of in a lot of different spots, but where do you really like to catch up with people on Twitter?
3: So I think Twitter's great. I'm really I'm, – I'm engaging – on every platform, you know, even, even, you know, Snapchat, which I tend to ignore, you know, on a regular basis. I think it's important, you know, to be having conversations that are different types of conversations on every platform. Uh, Twitter is the easiest to have a conversation, but I'm spending a lot of time, you know, on Instagram. And I think that although the conversation there is a little different, I encourage listeners to engage with me on that platform as well. But anywhere that there is a social presence, my handle is the tech rabbi, uh, the I'm putting content on on my you know my vlog on YouTube. So it's really just you know Google the Tech Rabbi or search the Tech Rabbi on any platform and you will most certainly find me.
0: And are you working on a book as well?
3: Yes, I am working on a book that has just moved to editing phase, which is a mind, mo- you know a big milestone uh, for this process. I'm hoping and praying that this book is out early next year, January time. And it's titled Educated by Design, which is the, the main project that I've been working on for the past couple years. And just really excited. It's uh, going to be put out by Dave Burgess, Teach Like a Pirate, his uh, publishing company. And I'm just I'm I'm grateful and excited for this opportunity.
0: Yeah, we'll hopefully we'll be able to catch up again uh, when your book's getting ready to be released. Um, are you ready? Definitely. Are you Thank ready you.
3: for our uh, pop quiz? yes let's let's go
0: all right if students could only go to school for one subject which subject should it be
3: It'd be entrepreneurship. I know it's cliche, but it just it has to be that. And the reason why it has to be that is that if there's anything valuable or valid in any class that is being currently taught, that can be infused in a way that's going to allow students to be uh, critical thinkers in a a very legitimate and complex way that will be valuable, whether they're going to start their own business or just be a really valuable uh, employee for a company. Um, Next question. What are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? Self-awareness. Students can go through their entire K-12 life being focused on getting good grades all the way through college and then not having a clue what to do, or they chose a degree um, focus and concentration that's considered prestigious, but they're not self-aware that you know they, they, they don't even know like what they're good at except for getting good grades. It's, it's alarming, and I, I'm a product of that myself. What does every child deserve? Every child deserves a chance without question. I know that's kind of like, you know, abstract or maybe like a little too, you know, sort of philosophical. But there's so many times. And and once again, my own experience where I wasn't given a chance. And I think it's a chance to, to figure out. What I'm good at and how valuable that is. I think that's what the chance is: is to get, give those students a chance to understand that if they aren't good in the traditional textbook definition of school, that there is still a future for them that they should strongly pursue. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? There's not enough time. And I could come up with a whole laundry list of incredible things that you must do in your classroom. There is not enough time. There's so much pressure on educators today to perform, for their students to perform, for curricular coverage and content coverage. There's just not enough time. And I think that is that is a real challenge. What's the best gift to give an educator? Ah, What's the best gift? Um, like a like a physical thing, or <laughs> um, it, I mean, it could go think, either way. Yeah, I, I think right now, if I could give a gift to an educator, it would be one of two books. It would either be "What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20 by Dr. Tina Seelig, who's at Stanford. I mean, that that's a life changing book. The other one is "Drive" by Daniel Pink. I think those two books are just have influenced me uh, to to, a, to such a degree. And then as far as, like, tech right now that I'm super into, um, I have uh, I, I was uh, sent this, this filming kit by this company called Iographer. And it's a, a grip case with two handles on the side uh, for my iPhone 7 Plus with a wide-angle lens and a telephoto lens that can uh, be removed pretty quickly with a clip and it has, you know, the ability to put an external microphone. And I just love this idea that I could have something in my classroom where I know that my students could pull out their iPhone. If it's an iPhone seven, a 6, 7, and 8, they could pull out their iphone stick it into this case and then film content at an incredibly high level like high quality level so i think that would be something that's super cool that isn't you know like a 500 you know purchase um but would be something that i would get good stuff and um which teacher changed your life uh, wow. Well, so I have two. Um, and I, I have to pick them because one, uh, both of them believed in me in levels where, like, I never thought was possible. The first one is um, is uh, Professor Sexauer, who was my... Um, BFA uh, head professor when I was getting uh, getting my art um, bachelor in fine art at Cal State Long Beach. She was um, just someone who really believed in me for the first time uh, in my entire school experience. And the second one uh, is uh, is Professor Green, uh, Dr. Green was my graduate school professor at uh, Cal State Fullerton, and really just gave me such a level of courage to pursue. Uh, the work that i'm doing uh, in the education space
0: have you been able to tell him how much you appreciate him
3: yeah um but hopefully i'll be able to share this with him uh, or maybe somebody who's listening will say oh hey did you hear on this podcast um but I, i have a great relationship still you know staying in touch with him on a regular basis and he's he's a he's a great friend and a great mentor
0: good stuff and last question pen or pencil
3: Uh, I love pen. I love the scariness of being able to make a mistake and then figuring out how to make it look like it's not a mistake, (laughs) which sounds kind of crazy, but I'd go with pen, Micron pen.
0: All right, Rabbi Michael Cohen, we appreciate you taking the time. If you want to find him, he's at thetechrabbi.com. And you said also on all
3: social media platforms at it's the tech rabbi, right? Yeah, T-H-E-T-E-C-H-R-A-B-B-I, the tech rabbi. Thanks again. Thank you so much.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. We want to hear from you, so if you want to send us an idea or a comment, remember you can always email us at info at We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So if you like what you heard today, please be sure and hit that subscribe button, and we'd also love it if you'd leave us a five-star review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash classdismissedpodcast or on Twitter to search for us by typing in dismiss. On behalf of Russ with school status and Lissa representing all the teachers out there, I'm Nick Ortega. And I'll talk with you next week.
1: Class dismissed.